On this episode of Radcast Outdoors, we're going to talk about spring post-spawn walleyes, which is always a lot of fun after they've dropped their eggs and they start heading out for their summer hunts. So we're going to talk about some different things that you can try, some presentations and some areas to look to catch that next limit of walleye for the next fish fry at your house. So sit back and relax and we're going to do another episode of Radcast Outdoors. This episode of Radcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hey, Patrick, do you know what's uh, really good about having a, a good friend that goes walleye fishing? What's that? Well, you get walleye occasionally. <laughs> yeah, I don't usually turn down walleye. On Sunday, we fried up a package. It magically appeared in my fridge. It was pretty <laughs> awesome, and uh, it was really good. How'd you cook it up? Same way I do halibut. A little bit of high mountain seasoning, a little flour, a little egg, roll it around, throw it in some oil in the pan till it's golden brown. Uh, does it get any better than that? I mean, you can use, as far as breading, I like panko. I'm a panko fan, mm-hmm. right? Japanese breadcrumbs, but you can use rich crackers. I mean, eh, you can use flour. You can use pancake batter, wh- anything, right, that's going to hold some grease and stick to it. Definitely, you got to have some egg. Definitely oh, yeah. put some seasoning in there. So, Well, I tried a new method this weekend. I had some northern pike and some walleye, and I tried the gourmet fish seasoning from High Mountain on one, and then the bayou bass on the pike. And the bayou bass is also High Mountain seasoning, oh, right? Man, Which one was really better? Good. I really like the bayou bass. I think I would like the bayou bass better, too. But I also did this thing where I made a... I made a roux and then made a cream base, and I put the Bayou Bass seasoning into that and mixed it up really good. And uh, once we, once I got that mixed into the cream and put that over, you know, the fish. I mean, that was, whew, that was really good. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna deny that it was, but that cream sounds like a <laughs> a, a non dairy person's nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so we did that. Um, I baked it in the oven, you know, to cook it, but it turned out really, really well. But yeah, the having the walleye in the freezer and having walleye this time of year, it's always nice to do. So I figured, you know, why not talk about how to get some walleye and you know, some methods because a lot of people, they've got fish patterned certain times of year, but they don't really have them patterned throughout the year. And, uh, walleyes, I'll just tell you, they don't stay in one spot. It's one of those fish that, you know, they go where the food goes, the food moves. So they move. That sounds like a little bit like black bears. Yeah. Which go back to episode 51. You can check out black bears, but yeah, walleye, they wander, they move, you know, they're fairly easy to figure out as far as spawn and where they're going to go. They're going to go somewhere where they've got gravel beds that kind of drop off into like, especially out here in the West. So reservoirs, they're going to go somewhere where there's, you know, gravel beds that kind of drop off into the main river channel or some, some kind of flowing water. So they're going to head for that. But when they get done dropping their eggs and, you know, doing the spawn thing, then they're going to start dispersing throughout like the main reservoir or the river or wherever they're at. And uh, so do they break off in pairs or just small groups? Or they just, they've, they've found a spot where nobody else goes and they're going to go get that food. It's typically big schools. And so okay. when they break out of there, they're, you're going to have a mass of fish 
so they kind of mass up from different areas into that spawning area and when they take off you know they're in smaller groups but they're still fairly big groups typically when you find them you're going to start catching you know you'll catch a fish you'll catch another fish you'll catch another fish because they're all kind of stacked up there together and so one of the things you can do is you can find that spawning area kind of figure out when you know they're spawning you know you can go out there and do all the reading you want on that but you figure out when they're spawning and then you can kind of move with them and sometimes it's a hundred yards sometimes it's a quarter of a mile (laughs) sometimes it's a half a mile you know but they'll start working their way out to their summer haunts because they're hungry and they're depleted because they've dropped their eggs and then they want to go find something to eat so So it's it's not like a uh you know a salmonoid they drop their eggs and die it's they're 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 very much alive they've lost all those calories (laughs) and they want to replenish them yeah exactly so one of the things that you'll see is they'll start moving up shallow too i mean they'll they'll come up on on the rocks they'll come up into the weeds they're typically looking for crawfish minnows bug hatches anything that's going to fit in their mouth pretty much uh (laughs) trout other mice anything anything that'll fit in their mouth typically they're going to be down a little deeper but you know they're going to come in what i mean by deeper is they'll be on the bottom they're not going to be looking for surface stuff as much but they're going to be out there and they're going to be stacked up uh recently i went out took my little boy for his birthday and was looking for something similar you know on that pattern so you had water coming in one end of the reservoir you go about a mile down because it's a little late now you know they've spawned out for a while most of them and there's this spot where water you know you have the main river channel it comes up and then you have this kind of you come up from like 30 feet to it's like six to seven feet and it's right off of a main lake point guess what the fish were all stacked up right there and it was pretty easy to catch them um and that's that's the thing about walleyes in the post spawn they're a little harder to find sometimes because they move a lot but they're really hungry. But once you do find them, it's not <laughs> like they're going to shy away from that food. It's not like that midwinter ice where they're just being lethargic and all these fish are, they're going to pound that, right? They're really hungry. So imagine you take a hiking trip up into the mountains and you go up there for a full day and all you take with you is maybe just like a small snack. And by the time you get back that night, you're hungry. Well, that's how these walleyes are. They're, they're tired, put the feed bag on, they start eating and that pattern really continues all the way into fall and into winter, like early winter. So you'll see, you know, walleyes, they're very catchable. <laughs> From now till fall. Oh, yeah. I mean, they in the summer, their metabolism increases, and so they just eat more and more. But, you know, especially after the spawn, they're pretty hungry. And so... You're making me hungry not. talking about walleye, Patrick, <laughs> especially well, if they're know. fried. Oh, man. It's it's about as good at eating as you can get, but I think a lot of people they they get in their own head with walleye, and I know I did for a lot of years. Is that you know you you get intimidated by the fact that they move so much, and it's like, well, where am I going to find them? Where am I going to find them? And it's almost like analysis paralysis, you know. And so if you're locked to the bank and you're shore angling, it's a little bit more difficult. I mean, you you can't move as easily just like when you're ice fishing typically. I mean, you It's a lot of work to drill those lot. holes and say, "Oh, we need to move half a mile to the next bay or cove or whatever." It's like, "Well, we just yeah, set move, everything up here." It's not easy. So you can't just, 
you know, be like, oh, well, I'm going to go 400 yards that way. It's, it doesn't work quite that way. But if you're in a boat, one of the nice things that you can do is you can look at a map when we talked about this with bear hunting, but you can go onto Google Maps, you can pull up a reservoir, a river, a lake, whatever it is, and you can analyze it and you can say, okay, on this reservoir, I've got water coming in here, here, and here. Sometimes it's a lot steeper, like if you are fishing from the shore, you want to know kind of what the drop is going to be, so you got to look at the different views so that you can kind of see that, but... If you can find, so where the water is coming in, where it looks like might be a good spawning bed, then you can kind of work your way down the shoreline and you can see kind of the path that the walleyes are going to have to take. I mean, they, they, they have to go somewhere and they're, they're going to exhaust food in that area. So they're going to have to move. So you can trace it back, find those main lake points. You can look to see where you have transitions from maybe like a muddy bottom to a rock bottom where you have the river channel and where it, you know, kind of comes up and you have a transition point because that's where the bait's going to hang out. And this time of year, walleyes, they really like crawfish. The crawfish are a good way for them to regenerate, you know, pack on some some pounds and, and kind of refresh themselves after all that exertion. So, you know, if you can find a rocky shoreline and where those transitions are, one of the best ways to search those areas is one to troll. So you control crankbaits, you control crawler harnesses, you control a lot of different things. So you control through there. And I can do the same thing walking down the bank, right? Just throw yeah. a couple casts out, move well, down 10 yeah. feet, throw a couple casts out. If I'm working a shoreline and I'm on foot, you know, you can take like a suspending minnow bait or a lipless crankbait like that PK Rattler. You can throw it out there and you can work it through those now, areas. Now, why quick. lipless instead of lipped crankbaits? Well, a lipless crankbait, you can control a little bit more. So like a lipless crankbait, let's say you're fishing off of a steep ledge and you want to fish towards the bottom. It's easy to do that because you can cast the lipless crankbait out, let it drop, count it down, and then work it back lower in the water column. If you have a you know floating bait, you're limited to how deep that that bait can dive. If you're fishing a suspended bait, same thing. It can only go to a certain point. So the nice thing about a lipless crank I can cast it really far because they're usually fairly heavy. You know, you can go with the quarter, three-eighths, half-ounce, whatever. You can cast it out a really long ways and let it sink to whatever spot you want. Some people, like if you're fishing like a, a sandy flat or something like that, you can cast out. You can let that bait sink all the way to the bottom, and then you can rip it off the bottom and let it drop, rip it off the bottom and let it drop. Just like a crawdad coming up and going yep. down, coming up, going It's and very effective. The same with a PK, like Flutterfish or PK Spoon, you can do that as well, but you also run the risk of getting hung up. So you kind of have to weigh that option in your head of, you know, do I want to try that or not? But that is a great search bait because you can cast it, retrieve it, cast it, retrieve it. Um but probably one of the best baits of all time. And Al Ender talked about this, you know, you can go back to episode 37 and listen to it. But if you're fishing a jig for walleyes with just like either a curly tail or a paddle tail, it's really hard to beat that presentation because you can cast it anywhere you want. You can work it fast. You can work it slow. You can work it on the bottom. You can work it in the middle of the water column. You can work it towards the top. It's, it's really dependent on you on how you want to work it. And, walleyes are extremely susceptible to jigs they like jigs <laughs> they like grubs they like the uh, paddle tails it just seems to be the kind of presentation that just gets all their senses 
going. If you were going to put together just a quick tackle box of I'm going to go post spawn walleye fishing, I'd say your best bet is you're going to want one of those jigs with a body on it. So either a curly tails is always good and a paddle tail is always good. So I would, I would recommend something like that. You probably want an eighth ounce jig. Probably don't want to go super heavy because um, you want to be able to kind of bounce it along, along like the shoreline, the rocks, the transition points. So that would be my number one. My number two would be a crankbait, you know, either a lipless or a suspending minnow bait. I've caught tons and tons of walleyes on that suspending minnow bait, and the lipless crankbait this year has done really well. And that walleye you had was on that. So, I mean, they, they, they do hit it. The other thing uh, that, you know, a lot of people don't think about is, you know, if you are in the boat and you're trolling, sometimes walleyes like things moving really, really fast, and sometimes they like things moving slow. So if, if they like things moving fast, troll cranks. You know, and PK makes that ridgeline crankbait. It is a good option if you're going to rip and go like two, two and a half miles an hour and go around the shoreline. They will hit it, so will big rainbow trout. But if you have to slow down and you want to go like a half a mile an hour up to a mile, 1.2, 1.3, that PK wobbler or some kind of a inline crawler harness of some kind is going to be a really effective presentation because you can kind of hang it out in front of their face. The walleye, again, I mean, it's it's not rocket science. I don't want people to think, you know, like I did for years. Oh, man, I just don't know where to find them. They're, they're really not that difficult to find. And if you have the right baits in your box, you're going to be able to get quite a bit done. The so other definitely step up and get some of those PKs and, you know, get a, get a few different options and colors and start yes. sort, sorting out in that body of water where those fish. And one thing I've noticed some of the, the really good guys that either – fly fishermen, you know, bait trollers, elk hunters, archery rifle, they keep a journal, they keep a notebook. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being able to go, oh, on April 10th, this was the moon phase, this was the temperature, and the fish did this, and the bears did this, and the elk did this. Being able to look back over that data, um, then you can start predicting of, oh, hey, we've got a big weather and I'll give everybody, I've got a really nice black-tailed deer hanging on the wall. I mean, really nice killed on the ground spot and stock with a bow and arrow during the day which you know we've talked about those things are 100 percent nocturnal what happened is we got like 12 inches of snow in the cascades the next day it got sunny and warm all 12 inches of that snow didn't melt it sloughed off the branch and started falling to the ground and we're talking you know 200 foot tall doug fir trees with every branch has 18 feet of 18 inches of snow piled up on it so there was a lot of these snow plumes coming down, you know, making this big noise. And I mean, it was cold enough on the ground that it was billowing up like smoke. We put on white painter suits and hiked around in the snow following tracks. And we killed three blacktails in one weekend on the ground, right? So mm-hmm. my dad, my brother, and I all got one. And that was, I hunted years before that and years after that, where we just got in the rain and just hiked around looking at empty Empty logging roads and empty stuff. So knowing when the weather's going to create a, you know, the weather's going to create a specific pattern, maybe, and maybe you can talk about that. What do, what do sure. walleyes do when that water temperature suddenly changes or the, or the cloud cover suddenly changes? Well, here's another hack is everybody's got a cell phone. So if you take pictures of your fish and you keep, like you save, like on my iPhone, I have a favorites you can look at the dates of when you caught those fish and you can see the time when you caught those fish. And so it works almost like a journal. I keep a journal too, but 
it's nice to be able to go back and have a visual reference of, okay, on June 24th, I was fishing at such and such a spot using such and such a lure and this was the weather and you know you can kind of tell i'll give the listeners one we were power bait fishing with the kids and i had uh some number eight and some number 12 treble hook and the number eight treble hook outfished the number 12 like 10 to 1 right i put it i just had a little tiny treble hook put it on the little kids fishing rod his little toy walmart you know clicker reel <laughs> threw it out there he caught three fish, and the adults were throwing twice as far with bigger gobs of power bait and bigger treble hooks just to get the kids some fish, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what I figured out is that lighter hook, even though it's got less power bait on it, is going to float higher off the bottom, even though they're the same leader, the same weight. And those trout were being very subtle with their bite, and I'm sure they were feeling that bigger hook or the tension before they actually swallowed it and they were gone and it wasn't floating as high in the water column, you know, so it was, they were having to hunt for it a little more and they weren't finding it as much. So it took me two trips to figure that out of why is this little hook outperforming? I mean, we're talking the same bait. We're talking the rods 20 feet away from the other one. It's not in a better spot. You know, those trout are just cruising through, but the presentation was different. Presentation's a big deal in fishing. And just like with anything, but I mean, if, if you don't present the bait, right, you're not going to catch fish. That's just the bottom line. The other thing too, is understanding what fish are going to do in reaction to X, Y, and Z. I mean, you have a lot of different factors, but you've got to learn that you can't, you have to learn it. Either you read it or watch it or go out and learn it firsthand. I have gone a lot of times when I was younger and I didn't catch much, you know, we caught some here and there, and then you start to figure out patterns. You start to figure out you know, what kind of presentation works. Like I can, I can work a crankbait pretty decent to where I know that I can get a fish to whack it. You know, I mean, you just, you learn that over time and it's not something that you're just going to know automatically and walk out there and do it. (laughs) You know, over the years, I've had a lot of trips where they weren't as successful, but you pick up one or two things that worked, you know, so maybe you go out and you fish and you're like, I'm going to try these five spots one of the spots you catch two or three fish and you're like, Oh, well, what was good about that spot or what was different about my presentation? And you kind of learn what worked and what didn't work. Well, same with like post-spawn walleye. I mean, they're going to move really fast. And so you may hit 10 different spots and you have to move fairly quickly, but when you find them, you better have a presentation that works. (laughs) You know, it's one thing to find them. It's a whole nother thing to actually put them in the boat. One of the things that you've got to think about is, you know, what depth of water are they in? What presentation is going to be best for that depth of water? And are they even interested in that? So how do you know that? You change baits a lot. Or if you're like me and you go on the boat, you probably have two or three rods already rigged with whatever presentations you plan on using that day. And every time I go fishing, whether it's with you or with anybody, I, I, I find myself spending more time changing rigging, <laughs> right, to whatever the, the person I'm with using. Or... I just, that's the one thing I like about fly fishing. But even then I'm always like, oh, I'm going to try this wet fly or this dry fly, or I'm going to switch to a bead head, or I'm going to go to this color. But when you finally find the presentation and the thing that's working, right, then it's, it's kind of magic. It is. And you don't want to spend time with your lure out of the water. No, <laughs> you're not I'm always telling my kids, it's like the more time that that presentation is in the water, the more successful you're going to be on average. And that's, that's true with any kind of fishing. So if you're, you know, especially if you're walleye fishing, 
typically you're not fishing super fast. You know, you're going to be working your lure, but you're not going to be working it really fast. And so having longer casts, working, you know, the bait. And here's another thing that you need to think about is when you're making casts on a shoreline uh, for walleyes, there's a couple of different presentations I like to use. So let's say you're on a reservoir and you're fishing off of a point. One thing that you want to do is you want to work from the point back out to your boat, or if you're on the shoreline, you want to work straight out from that point and hop uphill back towards the bank. The other thing that is key that a lot of people don't do is working parallel to that shoreline. So let's say, you know, you're casting straight off that point and you're working it back and you're hooking up with fish eight feet from the bank. Well, I think parallel might be better. Yeah. They might actually be stacked up, you know, at 10 feet deep all along that shoreline. So all you have to do is turn your body, cast more parallel to that shoreline and work that depth. So now instead of hammer. 2% of your retrieve, you, you're through a column of fish. Now, yep. you know, three quarters or half of your retrieve is through that column exactly. of fish. So typically when fish are running shorelines, you'll see this with smallmouth bass, with trout, with walleye. They'll work the same depth in a group and they work in a line. And so if you're fishing that and you find them in 15 feet, that's probably where you want to stay, <laughs> you know, and if you're trolling, same kind of thing. If you're seeing them at 15 feet, you're trolling over that spot and you're starting to hit fish. That's what you want to stick with. Oh, that's the same thing for big game hunting, Patrick. I mean, yep. we, the last episode we talked about black bears and I said, you know, it, it works for deer. It works for elk. It works for, if you find something at 3000 foot elevation during this type of forage season, Moving to 9,000 is not a good call or moving to 1,000. Now, you know, same thing. If you find them at 15, that doesn't mean you're not going to catch one at 17 or 12, but don't all of a sudden switch to 70 feet of water. No, and and I've seen fishermen do this. The walleye will be in six feet of water, but they're so used to trolling 20 feet of water that they stay out in 20 feet of water and they maybe catch one fish. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) all you have to do is motor up here to six feet of water change what you're doing a little bit and you're going to have your limit in 30 minutes or 45 minutes but people get into a rut of what they think they know right and it's comfortable to not switch and you know i've had success doing this i'm just gonna keep hammering it out and just keep struggling and i'll i'll have success eventually right and sometimes that's just you know, the fish aren't biting. We've, you and I have gone and the moon phase has been wrong and the water color has been wrong and we, we didn't catch a little fish. Yeah. It's called, other, that's other, called a learning moment. Yeah. <laughs> other, you know, don't, don't go fishing on the, on the moons. Just, just wait and go the next weekend. But I mean, the same thing as anything. Bears are the same way. Elk are the same way. There's, there's going to be extracurricular input, you know, weather, whatever it is, that's going to change just because you were successful Maybe the last 10 years in this spot, this time with that lure, it's time to change it up a little and try, you know. Sometimes it's only a few feet. Sometimes you're going from six feet deep where you're presenting your bait to 10 feet and that's it. I mean, really, and maybe it's a hundred yards down the shoreline compared to what it was last year or the year before. I mean, usually it's not that huge of a difference. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. it is, but you know, weather can play into that. I mean, you could... Like the other day when I had my boy out there, it was right before a huge storm and the wind blew. Let me tell you, holy moly, it was like a hurricane. But we got off before that. But, you know, you can have a weather system move in and the walleyes move out. 
they could be in seven, eight feet of water before the storm hits. And when the storm hits, they're in 35, 40, 50 feet of water. Down in that calmer water. taking off, getting out of there. Or the reverse can happen where the storm comes in and the fish are deep. And because the wind is blowing and smashing waves up against the shoreline, there starts to be some feed there available for them. Sometimes they'll be in two, three feet of water. And that's stuff that you have to learn over time. But I'll tell you this, this post-spawn bite, if you're looking to get some fish and have a fish fry, it can be a lot of fun, but be ready to move around. You know, if you catch them at such and such spot two days ago, don't expect them to still be there five days from now. Most of the time they're going to move because again, food changes in the weather. Just depleting their food source. Yep. So the the thing is. Water temperature is going to be a big one, right? Oh yeah. Because that's going to predict what, what food's available. It can cause hatches, you know. <laughs> One thing people don't realize about walleyes is they do like bugs. And when there's a huge hatch going on, they will they will get after it. And also, the bait fish that the walleyes eat also like bugs. So, so they're out. Yeah, so when there's a hatch going on, the walleyes will be around somewhere. I guarantee you they'll be there. But those are just some just some easy tips. You know, when, you, when you're looking for post-spawn walleye, be ready to move around right before that summer period because they travel a long ways. They can travel miles from where they spawned. So be ready to search, be ready to look, but when you find them, they're probably going to be fairly concentrated. Another thing too, just before I forget this, is you know this time of year people forget about the weather and (laughs) check the weather forecast before you go out in a boat especially. Um, We had, when I took my boy out, I think the wind got up to 70, 80 miles an hour out there after we got off. And I knew it was coming, so we got the fishing trip in in that little window that we had. But you got to be really careful. Gotta I ran to Casper that day to get construction material, right? And I came home pushing a headwind, and I came across the causeway there and looked across the lake, and it looked like the ocean. I mean, just was brutal. white caps. I wouldn't want to have been out there in a big boat, let alone a little one. No, you didn't want to be out there, period. I mean, even just standing on the shoreline, it about knock you over. I mean, <laughs> it was the real deal. So got to be careful, but get your family out there. Go harvest some walleye. Send us some pictures. We'd love to see them. Leave an itinerary of where you're going, when you're going to come back, please. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a podcast with some search and rescue friends of mine talk about some things because, yeah, you, you don't want to be – having people come look for you if you get hurt so life jacket on the boat fire extinguisher on the boat right there's some of these things i know we we hammer the safety a little bit but it's things happen no matter what outdoor activity you're doing you're already putting yourself in a less than desirable situation to be rescued right i mean if if we have an issue here at the house it's pretty easy for 911 to get here pretty simple right when when you're out bear hunting, when you're out walleye fishing, when you're out just mushroom picking, you know, things can happen and weather can turn or, you know, whatever you can. And usually most of those incidences, it's it's not the hypothermia that killed somebody, right, which was inevitably the cause, or it's not, you know, the exposure to whatever elements. It's the sprained ankle that led to the lack of gear that led to the... Yep. You know, and it's a lot of people have said, you know, nicking your your thumb just a little bit with a knife, it it's not immediately you're in mortal danger, 
but you now compromise that hand to where maybe if you got to start a fire, you, you can't flick that bick with that thumb because you've nicked it with a knife, right? And if you can't get the start, fire started, then you get hypothermic and then you get delusional and then you strip your clothes off and run around and, right? So just guys, be, be careful. careful out there, please. Just yeah. be a, a 2% of common sense of, hey, I'm just going to leave a, tell whoever, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to yeah. be back at this time. Married guys, I know you're tough, but uh, let your spouse know where you're going and let them know when you're going to be back. Because, I mean, I have a friend that, well, I have, I've had a couple of friends get hurt this year. One tore his Achilles, another one broke his femur. You don't know. And these are on fishing trips. I mean, you got to be careful. You know, you're, if you're hopping rocks, you know, around shorelines, fishing rivers and waders, bad stuff can happen really fast. So and a lot of careful. times I'm taking the oldest boy overnight here or there, right? And I let my spouse know that hey we're going approximately this drainage or trailhead or this area and we should be back by this time right and it's not that I want to be babysat or checked up on it's if I have a vehicle issue if I have a health issue if I have any kind of issue and I'm overdue I want somebody to raise an alarm of maybe my cell phone's dead maybe the you know you don't know but it it's way too easy to just leave an itinerary and that does trigger hey, this person's overdue, yep. and then a search party does start showing up. In a survival situation, minutes matter. So yeah. it, it is a big deal. But um, one last thing we got to talk about our other sponsor here is Bow Spider. So that, That's another tool in the tool belt that is, <laughs> you know, it's handy, right? And I would say on, on these walleye trips, you know, especially as we get into summer season, maybe if, if the fish have moved, Take a bow fishing bow, take a bow spider and shoot shoot a few carp for some midday entertainment break, especially if you got kids with you, right? Yeah, and this time of year the the carp are getting ready to spawn, so they're very, very susceptible to being shot with a bow. So <laughs> you can put your bow spider on your hip and go out and, and I'm, smash it. I'm sure that might be uh, some good bear bait, just so you know. <laughs> And great garden fertilizer. Great garden fertilizer, and they're invasive, so we need to remove as many of them as we can, please. (laughs) But I I will tell you, they are one of the best sport fish on the end of your line, too. They fight like crazy, so they are fun to catch. But, yeah, so go check out Bowspider, bowspider.com. You know, if you're a bow fisherman, it's going to be a game changer for you. Yeah, please check out all our sponsors, whatever your passion or hobby is. We definitely, we like working with those guys. We want to continue to work with all of them. And they're all really good guys. Um, So we'll have some more episodes coming up soon. If you've missed episodes or you're new to the show, you can go to radcastoutdoors.com. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Check Stitcher. out our glasses Yep, right from I Fremont mean, County Stoneworks. They're, they are cool glass. They are cool glass. Um, but, yeah, you can get our show just about anywhere now. We're on iHeartRadio, Pandora, you name it. You can find us just about anywhere you want. Rate, subscribe, leave a review. That makes a huge difference for David and I. So This is episode 52. So, you know, if you've just listened to this first time, there's some really cool episodes you need to go back and go. Go I, check them out. You, you, I don't want to put any above the others. There's some really good ones back there. So Yep. So until next time, go to radcastoutdoors.com to check out some of our older episodes, some of our recipes, and some of our other content. And then, of course, Go out onto your favorite podcast app, download, subscribe, and rate. 